You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. One day I understand. One day go see the baby be born and come back. You're a major league baseball player. Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. Now, this, these are rhetorical questions because you know I told you and you know I'm not. Analytics don't work at work all. It's just a crap to some people who were really smart made up to try to get in the game because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. He's a baller. He's a slave maker. And a shot smaller. In case you didn't know, I got T-Bowed. He shattered the mold. And all he does is win. All he does is win. Hello and welcome. This is Hot Takedown, 538 Sports Podcast. And today is a little bit of a, an interesting episode. We're taping this on Thursday, July 20th, but you'll be hearing it on the next Tuesday. But otherwise, all is normal here at the 538 Podcast booth. I'm Neil Payne. I'm a sports writer and editor here at 538. And here in studio, we have Kate Fagan. ESPNW columnist and our It's like chief... you're surprised I'm here or something. Now. Well, you know, uh, there, there's an exclamation point after your name on Chad's yeah, script that okay. he left for me. And uh, <laughs> you are our chief O.J. Simpson correspondent. You just got done spending uh, hours, hours hosting the coverage on ESPN. I of... was a panelist on our live O.J. Simpson parole hearing coverage. My mom sent me a picture. She and my dad are in Las Vegas of me on the TV saying, when did you become an OJ expert? Wow. And I was like, just today. Just, today. Just to be our chief OJ correspondent. I was representing the millennials who were coming of age. Ah, yes. While the white truck was speeding down the highway. That was my position today, Neil. Yes. Well, you know, uh, someone has to represent the millennials exactly. at all times. And uh, again, I should have said earlier that our usual host, Chad Matlin, he is still away on his honeymoon and we wish him the best. And so I am in his place. And then in my usual place, sitting across the table from me, is making his hot takedown debut, 538 sports editor Jeff Foster. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for having me, Neil. I'm filling in for Chad, yet not really filling in for Chad. Yeah. You, you, I'm neither the stat man you're me today. nor the you're host. Stat, you're stat man. You're stat man. Oof. Yeah. You know, now you know how it feels. That you, Those are big shoes to fill. Not really. No. no they are. <laughs> they are. We're going to be expecting a lot from you today. A lot of stats. I um, use mainly traditional stats. Oh. I'm not so into the advanced metrics oh, of boy. you kids. You not, not, Welcome to I'm a big. Down. I'm a big wins and batting average guy. <laughs> I, think, I think you can't really judge a pitcher unless you know how many wins he has. That's good because I'm about offering hot takes, so we'll be like perfect together. This is setting up almost like a Batman versus Superman <laughs> style like confrontation. So on today's show, uh, today's strangely misplaced out-of-time show, uh, first of all, we're going to talk about the NFL because there's no time of the year in which you can't talk about the NFL and have it be relevant. And specifically, we're going to talk about the structure of pay for young players in the NFL and whether or not NFL rookies and people on rookie contracts are getting cheated out of millions of dollars. Then we're going to bring on to the show Jerry Bimbry, a writer at The Undefeated, and he's going to talk us through the Undefeated's list of the 50 greatest black athletes of all time. And then finally, we're going to have a Sig Dig brought to us by our own Chief OJ correspondent, Kate Fagan. That's me. Now on to the NFL, and there's a story that was written by Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report that begins, NFL rookies are generally viewed as better seen and not heard. Uh, and that kind of speaks to everything that the NFL is about in, in terms of the way that salaries are handed out, especially since the 2011 CBA, which saw a drastic reduction in the amount of money that was paid to rookies uh, and players on their rookie contracts, and a lot more money being given to veterans as a result. So the peg for this was 
that Chase Stewart, our friend Chase Stewart of footballperspective.com, he posted a very provocative chart this week that showed that NFL rookie contract players contribute about half of the value of all of the, uh, you know, any player in the NFL, uh, at least according to approximate value, which is a metric that measures at, you know, across many different positions how much production a player had. And yet they don't get paid anywhere near commensurate with that amount of money. And it seems to be almost a, a deliberate decision or, or a confluence of competing interests in which the rookies don't get that much of a say and everyone else sort of takes the money uh, and they're left without that much. So I wanted to open this up to you guys for a conversation because so many times in the show we've talked about the way in which young players are often the most productive players in a given sport and yet also at the same time they're the players that seem to have the least amount of sway with the union and they also seem to have just no ability to kind of prevent ownership from running roughshod all over them. Yeah, we've talked so much about how like the Seahawks and getting so much value out of a quarterback and Russell Wilson who's on an even lower rookie contract than if he had been drafted, you know, in the top 10 in the NFL draft. Like it's common knowledge that the key point if you're running a successful NFL franchise is to get a bunch of cheap labor overperforming at the value. I think it's surprising in the sports world specifically the one we've been living in in the last month with NBA contracts to see such a discrepancy in value versus salary. But like my initial reaction, coming around to my initial reaction, was like, <laughs> isn't this how the world works? Like in a lot of ways, like young cheap labor in every industry is where you mine so much of like whatever effort and labor is going to be had cheaply. Like that's what happens in journalism and media. Those are the worlds I know. It, in everywhere, you're like, oh, that guy's young. Let's pay him not a lot and let's work him double time. Like, that is what happens. It's just hard to see it play out in an organization where there's such a spotlight on it. And you would think that you would be able to get value for effort when it's the National Football League and it's the most popular in in the States. But there are very few people working at Google who will blow out their knees in their third year and never cash in on the big raise. Right. They'll never be able to code again after... Uh, because of what happened. Yeah. You know, I thought it was interesting how young... To see how young the NFL really is when it really seems like every quarterback is 49 years old. Yo, you got jokes. I like it. Because, you know, it, it's, that position seems to not be getting younger at all. And yet, you know, the bulk of the league obviously must be pulling that up because the quarterback position is so important. And maybe, I mean, I don't know if some of this is also a consequence of the blunt instruments that we use to measure non-quarterbacks and, and, you know, especially players at positions that don't really have just any stats. And so we have to use something like approximate value where we give credit based on how much you played and how good the defense was and how much valuable we think your position was to, you know, the generic defense of the NFL. But maybe with quarterbacks, you know, the fact that we do have more value metrics it makes it easier to see who's playing well but then you know to your point Kate we do have at least some metrics for 
every player as opposed to sort of the other industries that you brought up where, you know, it, I think it is easier to screw somebody over when Pay you don't dues. have yeah. any kind. Uh, yeah, you maybe experience is sort of the only metric that you necessarily have on someone to quantify their performance. And so it sort of creates this cycle uh, of self-reinforcing, you know, only the people that have experience and pay their dues can can deserve to be paid. Well, it's not surprising to me that NFL owners have noticed that average length of an NFL career is 3.3 years. And if they can control the cost for your first four years in the league, you're usually getting a lot of the positional play and aside from quarterback and some of the other star studded positions like you have baked into the CBA that you've agreed upon like a bunch of cheap labor for like 99% of your positions and it's surprising to me that NFL players I mean even during the last bargaining agreement like everybody was saying that they got screwed and yet now it seems like they're kind of surprised or maybe it's being reinforced when they see what happens in other sports. And now we start to see like stats like this come out. Like they're like, wow, we're now seeing how bad it actually is that we haven't instituted some sort of, you know, Derek Rose rule where if you're a very high performing rookie, you can get yourself more money. I mean, it's like now that Jamarcus Russell signed a big deal and busted out of the league, all of the other high-profile stars, quarterbacks coming out of college have had little leverage to try and garner the same type of money up front. So there are all these issues at play in the NFL, and you would think being the most popular league, they could leverage to gain some momentum and to pull back some of the ground that they've lost. But it's really difficult when there's that 3.3 years and guys don't want to give up even a single year, a third of their overall income that would come from playing in the NFL. I think the injury, I mean, the injury thing really is what makes the NFL different. I mean, in baseball, I mean, you look at the baseball's young players. I mean, Mookie Betts makes, what, a million dollars a year? Yeah. Noah Syndergaard makes $600,000, something like that. But I think the expectation is you will cash in. You know, I don't know if you see that as much in the NFL because the you know, someone like Josh Norman probably like quadrupled his salary because of what he did in his first couple of years. But you know, the, when the career is so short, I think they're you know paying these guys up front like they did. You know, I don't. I'm not totally against the way the payment, the structure was with Marcus Russell. You know, like the, also in that era, the Lions gave huge money to Matt Stafford, Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan. Yeah. Matt Ryan led him to a Super Bowl, what, 10 years later? I mean, that was an important deal. It was a, it was probably worth it to give him all that money. Yeah. We then, focus a lot on the, the bad contracts. Right. And maybe as fan, I mean, that might speak to as fans and in some ways as analysts, you know, the way that we view uh, the league is often from the perspective of the the teams and by proxy the owners, even if we're not intending to, because we think about, oh, you know, this guy's on an affordable deal or, you know, there's only like we talk about contracts for players never or hardly ever from the player's perspective of, you know, I got this amount of money and, and you know, this production that I'm giving is fair. It's really all always in the case of how can we get someone cheaper how can we get someone that is going to produce you know more value for less money and that's a very owner centric viewpoint of of sports that i think is easy to get sucked into based on the way that as fans 
we do have a, a, an aligned interest with the owner of our team in the sense that we want to see the team win. And also as, you know, statistical analysis for all that it can do, I do think that there is a very sort of like people want to be GMs, right? Like that, that's sort of, you know, the young statistical analysts, they, they want to be Billy Bean. They don't necessarily want to be, you know, uh, Mike Trout uh, as much. And so being Billy Bean is about basically getting the most bang for your buck and underpaying players as much as possible. Yeah. When I'm looking at the New York Giants, let's say the football team I follow, do I side with Odell Beckham that I think I agree that I think that he's worth more than the Giants are paying him? But do I want my te- my team, the Giants, like a 53-man roster, do I want them to pay his value? Like, there's a part of me that doesn't because now all of a sudden we have a huge surplus that we can spend elsewhere and get better, better at other positions. Like, that doesn't really exist as much in the NBA because there's not as much given to, like, there's not a ton of upside and, like, Oh my God! The guy we're only paying four million is producing at a higher level. Like that just doesn't exist as much in like common knowledge of NBA fans. That like that as much as it does in the NFL. Yeah, and especially since the NBA still has the maximum salary, even though some of the salaries are getting you know higher than than I can remember them being for the highest paid players. It's still probably a fraction of what some of the you know greatest players like your LeBrons uh, and your Currys and so forth are actually worth to their teams, and so you know it's a, in concert with not having a hard salary cap. It does sort of create more wiggle room in which the players can get paid more, and also as a fan, you can kind of think about the the personalities uh, you know involved and the and the machinations of you know who's going to what team for what reasons that don't have to do with just the strict bottom line of the hard salary capped NFL. I think the the your initial analogy was very apt in the sense that well, thank you. these <laughs> older guys they. You know, you can't change the fact that they're always going to resent some young guy coming in making more money than him. I mean, and this, trying this, to take their job. Yeah, and this kid's from Alabama. He hasn't been, you know, getting brutalized on the field every week for seven years. Why is he making more money than me? So I think, you know, in terms of their representation on the players' union, you know, it it's not right, I guess, but it also does make total sense. Yeah, and in me. the NBA, there's there's no there's very little room to be jealous of someone else's contract because everybody is getting getting more money than I'm assuming they ever dreamed of even when they were heading to college. I mean, you can name so many guys who would have assumed like, hey, at some point I'll get like, you know, a Jason Capono type deal where it's like three years, 14 million and that's amazing and then all of a sudden they're, you're underpaid if you're getting nine, 10 million a year. So there's like almost no room to have the kind of pay structure hierarchy that you can see play out in the NFL. I mean, in none of these sports, like, we all pretend sometimes like they're in an open market of some kind, and they're not. And especially when you look at, like, the different regulations within each of them, it's really hard to jump between league and league and understand how the regulations impact whatever the flow of open market would be. Because it'd be really interesting to see NFL rookies come in and be able to negotiate right off the bat about for what they're worth. Yeah. That will never happen because of the lack of, like, ability to unionize. The other problem with football is what goes on in college football where these guys are literally making nothing and just as dangerous and you've had guys like what's his name marcus Lattimore was the best running back in the country he blew out his knee and you know i think he maybe signed with the 49ers but he never really played in the nfl and you know he was supposed to be you know a top pick 
and his career was over before it started. So I think that sport is different in that sense. And like in that alone would make me I don't know why I have a say in this, but <laughs> that would make me support, you know, changing the structure. So then what do we think the solution is? Is it is it an intractable problem like you mentioned because of the way that the NFL is you know, so injury prone and certain positions are also so injury prone that you can, you know, most of the value from a running back, for instance, is going to be in such a short within such a short span of him making his NFL debut. That is it would it ever be possible to give a running back, you know, fair value for what they're creating? Like, uh, wh- what are the what are the solutions, I guess? Well, the only solution that I can think of. Real solution that could happen would be a strike. Mm. I actually don't even think when I say that, like, could happen. I actually don't think that could happen. And, in, in, you know, talking to a lot of the NFL guys, former NFL guys up in Bristol, like, there's just no way that you're ever going to get a 1,000-plus really young players coming to the league being willing to give up even, you know, the half million that they might make. So then you're left with, like, are the owners going to all of a sudden be charitable? Like, are they all of a sudden going to acquiesce on certain points because they know it's in the benefit of players? No. So it, it seems like the NFL is in a really tough spot unless that particular players union has a radical shift in what they're able to do in the next three years before the CBA comes up again. Yeah, and one last thing on that is that, you know, you mentioned baseball and young players are producing more in baseball than really ever before over the past couple of years. In the NFL, that trend that Chase found of the amount of value being about half created by players who are in the first four years of their career, that's pretty constant going back to the 1970s, back to the the merger between the NFL and the AFL. So it's not, you know, it's not a matter of just we we've noticed this new trend of young players, you know, contributing more value. And so we can make a change uh, in the next CBA based on this emerging trend. This isn't an emerging trend. This is something that the NFL has known for a long time and structured around and is structured around and has gotten regressive about paying uh, players because of the Jamarcus Russells and the people like that, the very high profile busts, almost using that as an excuse to penalize rookies even further uh, and kind of make them even more underpaid. Well, it still needs stars, though. I mean, Odell Beckham will eventually get a huge contract because these teams do value that. And they, they want their fans to know the people on the field. You know, beyond the quarterback position, Maybe. not the Jets. <laughs> you know, we, no, we of course not. I mean, we, the Jets go for a more no name approach. But you know, I mean, most teams. It's about the names on the on uh. the front of the jersey, <laughs> the helmets. Yes. Okay. So that seems you know like a topic that we're going to revisit many many times and already have in the past. But it does seem like something maybe we should open up to the to the listeners at some point and try to get some ideas. Like we tried to fix the NBA draft lottery. Fix the uh, football maybe CBA. fixing the football CBA can also be uh, something to solicit uh, responses on. But for now, we're going to leave it on that slightly depressing note and move on to a word from our sponsor. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. 
In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash takedown. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash takedown. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash takedown. Okay, so Kate had to step out of the podcasting bin for a little bit, but she'll be joining us later on our next segment. But right now, we're going to talk about a listing of the 50 greatest black athletes of all time that The Undefeated is putting out. And joining us to talk about it is Jerry Bembry. He is a senior writer at The Undefeated, and he helped write some of the uh, athlete bios that you find on that. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Hey, glad to be here. So tell me a little bit, first of all, about just the ranking, the, the, the genesis of this project, the idea, you know, who came up with it? Was it kind of a collaborative thing where you guys just set out to say, we want to give the definitive ranking of the top 50 black athletes? Well, you know, even with the original seven people that, with the undefeated, we always thought about coming up with a list. And so when we finally got Kevin Merida on board to lead the site, we spoke about it and said, yeah, it would be a great idea to come up with the 50 greatest black athletes uh, on the list. So we went through SurveyMonkey, and we had people rank the, the athletes and came up with, with a group of 60. And then we, we had people rank athletes after we came up with the 60 on factors including you know dominance, inspiration, impact on society. And that's how you came up with this list of 50 greatest black athletes. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little about that methodology and just sort of like how, uh, the categories, like you mentioned, there's the kind of overall, which I guess means like just like how gr- how great were they at playing their respective sport. But then there's also dominance, inspiration and impact on society. Tell me a little bit about like what each of those means to you and, and what the criteria were when kind of breaking things down into those categories. You know, when you say dominance, you look at a player like a Michael Jordan, a basketball player, look at a tennis player like Serena Williams or Muhammad Ali, these people were at the top of their craft. They dominated their sports. But you you also look at impact on society, and you can say that Floyd Mayweather is a great fighter today. He's an undefeated boxer, but what impact has he had on society, which is why Floyd Mayweather doesn't appear on that list in the top 50, didn't even make the top 60. So you had to have pretty much some sort of impact on the African-American culture as a whole. And, you know, there, there are quite a few athletes who we would consider to be great that don't make this list based on that criteria. So you started with a list of 200 that the undefeated did themselves? It was a list of 200 based on different surveys. Oh, okay. And so the surveys came in, who were the greatest black athletes on these surveys. So, for instance, uh, a guy like Kobe Bryant doesn't appear on our list. And he doesn't appear he, he, on the list. He doesn't appear on the list. Wow. And, and that's probably based on social impact. And you, you look at Kobe and you look at the people that we surveyed, and he rates high with young African-Americans. They can identify with him. But the older white people in the survey didn't really connect with Kobe. So there, I think there are a lot of racial factors involved. There's, there are a lot of age factors involved. You know, a lot of people in society today, I'm going to give you an example. I used to be a college professor, and I taught a class, and I mentioned doing a story for ESPN when I worked at the magazine on Scottie Pippen. And, you know, I, for my generation, Scottie Pippen was a great ball player. Oh, but yeah. There's such a disconnect with today's society about players who played 15 years ago that these kids couldn't get a grasp of how 
great of a ball player he was as Michael Jordan's sidekick. So I think that's probably some of the factors that were involved in some of these numbers. And, and you know, people people embrace what happened yesterday in the last five years of their lives. So. Scotty Pippen. Wow. I, I can't they were like, that. oh, Michael Jordan's sidekick? Yeah, that guy that played with Michael Jordan. No, not Dennis Rodman. You can look at you know, Dr. J today and some people will say, wow, Julius Irving played basketball? Or really? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, and it's so amazing because those are players that you can see sort of like the DNA of how they played show up in today's best players. Like LeBron James is sort of a you know version of what Scotty Pippen did and so on and so forth. You know, it's, it's all based on social media too. Everything gets blasted on social today, and un- unfortunately for these some of these former athletes, they didn't get that kind of exposure. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're talking about in a sport like basketball in in the mid '80s, where they didn't even play their basketball games in prime time. You know, the, the NBA Finals, they played it. You know, showed it at eleven thirty at night, tape delay, which is kind Shocking. of crazy. I remember those days. It's always interesting when you have a list of best athletes that you have the the trickiest ones. I think are the athlete athletes like the the Bo Jackson. Type players, the multi sports, the uh, you know Jim Brown. How do they fit in? I, I guess it, I guess it's really up to the the person taking the poll in this case. It's up to the, the person taking the poll, and and I, I will say that both of those individuals will appear somewhere on the list. <laughs> okay, uh, not to give anything away, but we can't take away from their greatness. Bo Jackson was a great football player and a baseball player. You know, Jim Brown uh, excelled at lacrosse and football. And Jim Brown had a social impact on society, so he was a very outspoken person in the African American community. So, uh, but you got you got Herschel Walker here, who's well famously let, a great athlete. Well, let, let's let's just say that I don't agree with everything that appears on this. Oh, list. you're not a fan of Herschel? Oh, so I'm, I'm I, I don't think Herschel Walker. I don't know what impact he made on society, and I think Herschel was a great college player. I thought I thought he was a very good professional NFL player. Would I say he was a great NFL player? I, I don't. I don't think so. And so, for me personally, I would not have Herschel Walker on the list. So that was one of the the shocking people that came up. And um, you know, we're going to get together as a staff, and when this list is all over, we're going to have a video, just kind of having a debate on who deserved to be on the list and who who should not have been there. Yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of interesting. I wanted to come back to something that you said earlier about how um, that, that certain players resonate with the African-American community, but that th- the poll was was structured and kind of weighted in a way so that it reflected the ratios of people in America as a whole. Is, is that right? It, it does, because we, we went through all ethnic groups you know, all ages. So we, you know, we had white respondents, Hispanic respondents, black respondents. And I think in, I think if you polled strictly African-American people, you would have a different list right here. And there, there are going to be some, some names in the top 10 that will shock people. Mm-hmm. Two in particular that will really, really shock people. And I think they have significance, but I, I think that's probably part of the racial being of, the, of this list. Was that a conversation that was had at any point in the, you know, among the staff or anything about like, should there be more of an emphasis on African-American respondents to kind of create this list of great black athletes? Or is it just something where, you know, the Survey Monkey does their thing with the data and you kind of go from there? Yeah, Survey Monkey does their thing and we go from there. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for the management of outside, but if, if it were up to me, I, I think I probably would have gone with African American community. I think you may have had a truer list of how they felt, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it's just again when we do our video at the end, we're going to kind of break down 
the racial dynamics of, of what happened and why people responded the way they did. You know, why uh, a guy like an Allen Iverson rates in a top five with young people and, and doesn't even rate at all with, with, with white respondents. Yeah, I think that's kind of a telling example. That's probably one of the more controversial ones or, you know, polarizing amongst, you know, if you looked at different groups of people. I think it's also interesting you say, or someone said in the intro to the overall piece, which, by the way, the design on the piece, you know, on the website is amazing. Like just the the way that you can kind of scroll through and, and it's got videos interspersed through and, and all of that. I have to commend that also. It's just like such a visually appealing presentation of the list. But the in the explanation of the piece, it says that you and Justin Tinsley and Aaron Dodson worked on writing the biographies of each athlete, but then it has this note that says that the three of you didn't agree with some of the uh, rankings, but the people have spoken. Could you tell us, you know, you mentioned a few people, uh, a few athletes that you didn't necessarily agree with the placement on, and without giving too much away, what's one among the ones that have been revealed, uh, aside from maybe Herschel Walker, that you most agree with, and and which ones do you disagree with the most? You know, I I think Herschel was the, the, the glaring person. He, he comes in ahead of a man like Arthur Ashe, ahead of a Bill Russell who Oof. had such a great impact. Right, I let's mean, admit, Bill, Bill, Bill Russell, Russell ideally would too be too high. Okay, yeah, uh, let's you, you, bump him up. I think he's a little too high. He should be. He should be in the top ten, right? Top twenty. I think Arthur Ashe and too Bill high Russell, meaning. Too low. Too, yeah, too low. Yeah, yeah, too high exactly. of a number. Not, but yeah, not rated good enough according okay. to those Let's two. Let's make sure we clarify those two individuals. Right <laughs> Bill there Russell, yeah, that should amazing. be rated higher. You know, Bill Russell won eleven championships. Very outspoken man in, in his time. And Arthur Ashe, I mean, a tremendous individual. You know, tennis court. You know, made history as an African American tennis player at UCLA and a social impact. He he was an advocate for for AIDS research, and I think that alone should have had him a lot higher. The the fact that Herschel Walker rates in front of them, I don't know. Is it because of his bobsledding career? I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, but, you talk about those multi-sport athletes. Yeah. yeah. And, and some other surprises, you know, Tim Duncan is at 50. Yeah, I was surprised by that one. And yeah. he's behind David Robinson. You know, Tim Duncan is, by most standards, considered one of the best power forwards in NBA history. If not the best. If not the best. And David Robinson, although he, while he's a great basketball player, a great center, I don't know if I would have had him on my top 50 list. And, and so that's a little bit of a surprise. And then you look at some of the, the track athletes. Michael Johnson comes in at 32 in a, in a list that was released last week. And you look at who's behind him, Carl Lewis, one of the greatest yeah. track athletes of all time. And how do you rate Carl behind Michael Johnson? So, so yeah, there's some really big surprises, and, and we're going to roll this out over the course of five weeks. And, you know, I, I think at the very end, people will really express some outrage about it's interesting how that, this came about. It's interesting that you have Barry Sanders right next to Reggie Jackson in terms of, you know, personality. Barry's probably one of the most <laughs> low-key, soft-spoken. I think they actually said he used to fall asleep on the sidelines of Lions games <laughs> when the defense was on the field. And then, you know, Reggie, very outspoken and a huge personality. And then the other thing I thought was interesting is, you know, when you have guys from team sports like Barry and like Ken Griffey Jr. who never really won much, but I guess you could still say they dominated in their own way. Yeah, Griffey was a, a very dominant figure in terms of social impact. I, I'm, I'm really, you know, at a loss to define what social impact. He was a very quiet individual as a ball player. Um, so I'm not surprised he's on the list, uh, maybe a little further down. You can say Joe Frazier was, was a great heavyweight champion and 
when you look at this original list and you see what's been rolled out in the first couple of weeks, you might say, okay, he's there. But then when you see the final list and see who didn't make it, you might scratch your head a little bit about mm-hmm. that. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask about, just personally, what do you think are the challenges of comparing, like you mentioned, individual versus team sports, athletes that play in very different sports, especially since there's such a component of sort of you know social impact or inspiration on the community as part of this. As it pertains to different sports, it seems like there's a lot of potential for just different amounts of, of influence and impact depending on what sport you play, whether it's individual or team-based. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a lot different, and based on the sports you play, it's a lot different based on when you played. And, you know, I think this is very heavy on team sports. I think some some individual sports athletes were overlooked in this list. And uh, again, I think that it's it's a, a lot of that has to do with this 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 nation just kind of forgetting how great some of the athletes from maybe the 40s and the 50s and the 60s really were. And you know, we remember what happened yesterday and and not in the past. And I think that's unfortunate. We don't we don't see the videos of a lot of these individuals like you see today, you know. You see LeBron James and it's just the videos are just thrown at you day after day after day. And, and and we may not see videos of a guy like a Satchel Page, who was a great baseball player in his own right. You know, the great baseball players of that era who helped integrate the sport. So I I think it's just really unfortunate. And you know, I think it's I think it's important for us as as sports writers to kind of elevate those individuals and kind of champion their cause to make people remember just how good they were. Yeah, especially since some of the subsequent players and the strides that they made wouldn't have been possible without what was done by the previous generations. Absolutely. And I mean, and you can look at social impact on some of these current players. And, and you know, it's you look at Colin Kaepernick, and it's, this is an individual who is not in the NFL today based on what stand he took. And I think it's I think it's a reflection or it's contrary to a lot of current athletes because people are really afraid to speak now because they're worried about their livelihood if they speak out. Yeah, and that's so unfortunate because when you do look at a lot of the iconic athletes of, you know, the previous generation, they you would think that they would rate really highly on a list like this in some ways because of the stand that they, that they took. You think about, you know, a lot of the great athletes of the 60s had to, you know, stand up for, you know, social causes and and really kind of you know, I think of Kurt Flood, I think of people like that, even, you know, for just the cause of athletes in general trying to, to make more money and, and, and get a fair wage and things like that. Yeah, I mean, Kurt Flood is just such an important individual on, on sports today based on the stand that he took. And, you know, it's you know, you don't see that today. I, one of the people on our list is Roberto Clemente. You know, I was nine years old when he died. But yeah. it, it had such a tremendous impact on me because I knew he was such a great baseball player. And then after his death, I learned about what he was doing to raise money for people back in his home of Puerto Rico. And on that mission, trying to fly goods down to a place that had been devastated by an earthquake. So I think that probably had a big impact on him appearing on our list at number 40. Cool. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing all of the other ones, you know, the installments that come out. And which day of the week can we can we find these on uh, these each will, week? These will be released every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. Cool. Um, so, just like uh, Hot Takedown comes out. Exactly. So today, the next list, the next 10 will, will go today. Excellent. And we can look at see who's in, in the top 30. We'll have the top 30, uh, the 30 people revealed in the, in the list by today. And then in a couple more weeks, we'll have the, the, all of the 50 there. And then the real debate will begin. And, and then I'm sure <laughs> in my timeline, people will be coming at me because my name is listed Attached. as an author, right? Yes. So they'll say, you know, Jerry, what, what were you thinking? And no, I wasn't thinking anything. This is this is the people that survey monkey. <laughs> we that, didn't know, pick this. We didn't pick this at all. So that's my disclaimer right there. I, I did not pick this list. I agree with a lot of the names on the list. 
I don't agree with all of them. Are, are we going to get your personal top fifty at any point, or is that also kind of off? <laughs> I don't know if I. I will give you my my the top ten people at the end on the list who I don't think should be there, mm-hmm. and then I will rank my top ten. I'm not going to go one through fifty, but yeah, that that should give you an indicator. Um, again, the the top ten. There are a couple of names that will really be shocking to you. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm I'm excited to see it. Thanks again. Jerry Bimbrey is a senior writer at The Undefeated, and you can catch the next installments of the 50 Greatest Black Athletes of All Time every Tuesday at The Undefeated. Okay, now it's the time of the show where we bring you our significant digit, that telling number from the sports world. And uh, here with our sig dig this week is Kate Fagan. That sig dig is 50. That would be 50%. That is the increase in ratings for ESPN's coverage of the NBA Summer League, a 50% increase between the 2016 NBA Summer League and the 2017 NBA Summer League. Now, this is why this is relevant, in my opinion, is because ESPN got 50% more people to tune into their games simply by talking about Lonzo Ball a lot. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that it was a whole premeditated campaign to talk about Lonzo Ball. It just so happens Lonzo Ball became a storyline, and people, by half a million increased, decided to tune into an utterly meaningless game, mostly filled with players who will never be in the NBA. This was important to me because I think it dispels the notion that, like, let's say the WNBA. People don't watch the WNBA, and it doesn't rate. And if I say, well, it doesn't rate because nobody talks about it, people say, no, it's because nobody likes it nobody cares. We actually have validation right here that if you just randomly talk about one person on air nonstop, people will tune into even a game that has no impact whatsoever on any stakes anywhere. And that was my takeaway at the 50% increase. Yeah, it's almost like if you make a, something a thing. Like yeah. Summer League, I don't remember Summer League being a thing Ever before this summer. I mean, yeah, it was something for hardcore. Yeah. I'm not even sure I know what it is. I, I <laughs> kind of don't either, truth be told. I mean, I know. So it's just guys playing basketball? It's guys playing basketball. In, uh, like, actual pennies. They're wearing, yeah, like, it Reversible says Reversible mesh jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> There are there is it has like a little bit more structure than a, uh, a random pickup a summer game. league necessarily. Uh, or, that yeah, you've played in. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just don't remember that being a thing. And then on the front page of ESPN.com, uh, much to the chagrin of uh, my friend Harry Enton, who complained about this constantly that there wasn't enough baseball coverage and it was all summer league. Uh, it really seems, based on your number, that if you try to make a thing, uh, you know, something that wasn't a thing into a thing, right. people will treat it that way. Right. And so we could do that with the WNBA. We could do that with other sports that we want, you know, people to pay attention to. There will be backlash, you know, from people saying, "Why? Where's my baseball? Why? Why is summer league a thing?" But at the end of the day, the the numbers also show that more people wanted to tune in, uh, you know, when they were presented something. It's sort, of, it sort of reminded me of the the way the scouting combine just came out of nowhere. Yeah, the NFL the, combine. Yeah, yeah, the NFL scouting combine. Like, like ten, all of us, ten years ago, I didn't. I don't remember that being like a mark on my calendar. Tune into the NFL combine. Yeah, I mean, we weren't talking about how you know 
Drew Brees did in the three cone drill. <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like I a hot tub. I remember him doing pretty well, though. He's got some yeah, agility. That is true. All. Sure. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. And I wonder if, uh, you know, that example will be taken to heart, like you said, with the WNBA and, and you know, women's sports in general, just getting more exposure. And we've, we've seen, even with the Olympics, that, you know, when it's presented to people in a wide audience, People I watch. want one week before, like, the, the lone ESPN game that's aired, WNBA game, everybody, all they do on first take and sports center and radio is talk about the storylines in the game. Well, sometimes you're Super. on first take. I know. Bring that. I, I, you, how do you think that pitch goes oh, in the pitch? I, I know it doesn't go well. <laughs> I want to talk about the backcourt between the links and the uh, sparks. <laughs> anyway. Okay, well, uh, you know, a little tip for our overlords at ESPN, and and maybe uh, we'll start to see that 50% uptake in WNBA watching. So that'll do it for this week's show. Thanks again to our chief OJ correspondent, Kate Fagan. Thanks, Neil. Thanks to Jeff Foster. How was your uh, your hot takedown debut? It was very inspiring. Yes. I'm very happy with it. You inspired Rated high, or highly you on the inspired. Inspired. I'm Jeff Foster if I've been completely edited out of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> our podcast producer, as always, is Katie Ferguson. We also receive production assistance from our intern, Alice Wilder. You can email us at podcasts at 538.com. We'd love to hear what you think. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, all sorts of other apps, We're also on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Be sure to review and rate the show, which helps others discover the program. Our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. I'm Neil Payne. Talk to you next time.